God's blessings to you. It is episode eight of the TLC show from Trinity Lutheran Norfolk with Pastor Jonathan Moraz. I'm your host, James Heft. Joining us on this podcast is director of music, Stephen Pruitt. Stephen comes on the podcast to help explain why music is so important to worship. There's music pretty much in every worship service that you go to. It doesn't really matter what denomination. We are just musical people or musical as people. And Stephen explains the background, why we have music, the importance of the words, the importance of melody, and the importance of musicians. So this is a really fun podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't already, please be sure to check our website, trinitylutherannorfolk.org, for all sorts of information regarding worship service and about the church and things of that nature. And also follow us on Facebook. We are located at TLC Norfolk on facebook.com. All right, so without further ado, let's get started with the TLC Show. Pastor, it's great to be back with you. Good to be here. And our special guest, Stephen Pruitt, Director of Music. Great to have you here, too. Good to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation because music is so uplifting, uh, it's so joyful, but it also can be one of the most challenging conversations that that churches can have. Um, and I, I think, you know, before we get into the whole conversation about music, Stephen, tell, tell the audience a little bit about your background and, and how you got involved into being an LCMS musician. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I started, I'll make the biography short. I started piano when I was five. I used to watch the organist at church play when I was a kid. I got interested in that. So my piano teacher could teach me organ too, so I started taking organ. Then I went to VCU, undergraduate organ performance, minor in choral conducting. Then graduate school, uh, Master of Sacred Music, Concordia University, Wisconsin. And um, I've always loved church music, organ handbells, choir, all of those things. And you're a composer, too. That's some. Um, yeah, I do a little, a little dabbling with that. Perfect. I've got one published piece. and so You've yeah, got one more published piece than I do. That makes you a professional. And, yeah. <laughs> get my 10 cents every year of royalties. Um, and I just love, I love God's people, and I love music, church music. I love all music, but I just love, there's nothing more thrilling than a congregation singing at their full voice with the organ and just yeah. and brass if you have brass. It's just the most <clears throat> thrilling thing. Gives me goosebumps when yeah. I hear that. So here's a question for, for both of you then because that, that question leads right into the, the main one. Why is music important to worship? Where, where did it come from? How did it, how did it even get incorporated in, into worship in the first place? Yeah, worship, music has been part of worship since well, the beginning, so to speak. I mean, uh, uh, our references, for instance, in the Old Testament, the psalms are uh, mus musical pieces, chanting, uh, singing, etc. Just for the kind of uh, connected part is, Bluntly, it's easier to remember something when you're singing. 
than it is when you're just trying to memorize a piece. You can memorize long pieces of literature that are set to music. But I think also God made us musical creatures. I mean, we're just, we relish in that. We, we love to hear the sound and the tones, and uh, music's kind of universal for us. So. Luther talked about creation and music and that it's just this thing that's in everybody that they want to sing. And, and it, what it does is music, music takes us out of ourselves. When we sing, we're very vulnerable, but it also does something. It's, it's kind of like a runner who, who runs, and they reach a point while they're running that they become almost in, entranced in something. And sometimes music can have the same effect. Um, I know as a keyboard player, that can happen when I play. Um, a congregation singing, it, it, it's just that joyous acclamation and that desire to, to give as much as they can. God has made us communal creatures. I mean, we seek community. And, you know, I, I love to hear people confess the faith together, etc. But when they're singing together, that's something that, that they can do, uh, you know, in unison and, and complementary to each other. I mean, obviously, musical pieces, there can be harmony and, and uh, um, you know, multi-parts and stuff. And so uh, all that, somehow that just gives us a sense of uh, belonging together. So, so what makes music sacred for the church? How, how does you know, a, a, a tune or a set of phrases, how does that end up being something that could even be included in a worship service? Well, I, you know, I think first of all, since we are a singing people, or, or you know, especially Lutherans, but I just think people in general want to express that and because there's music in the secular world there's also music in the sacred world and you know through thousands of years how that's developed you know you have you have the psalms that were sung in the temple old testament the music's not we don't we don't know what the music is right. what they sang but um there's just something about the, the the music the chant if you take if you take the early church with the chanting you know, even pre, pre-Gregorian chant. And there's something about the words and the music. The music kind of gives the words life or energy. Hmm. And it, I don't know what, what the right word is. It's, it's almost like a flower that's blossoming. Hmm. You know, have you seen those quick photographs or videos of a flower opening up real quickly? It's the same type of thing in a sense. It just blossoms and opens up. Um, yeah, Pastor, kind of that same token, um, I would say what it's been about a decade, maybe even a little bit longer, but the Lutheran service book is our hymnal that we use for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. But I believe, as far as LCMS goes, that might be our fourth or fifth iteration of the hymnal at least. So what's the theological perspective on, on what makes the cut? You know, how did how sure. does it how does sure. the hymn get our, there? Hy- our hymnody, you know, when when we are developing new hymn books, 
And most people go back to the hymn book of 1941, although we had one in 1901, etc. But English then, 41, English became our official language in 39, <laughs> actually. So uh, we had a hymn book in 41, uh, put another one out in, uh, what, 70, no, 82. And then this one came out in 06, 2006. And uh, it does go under doctrinal review. So, um, you know, generally speaking, I mean, kind of familiar with the specific criteria, but generally speaking, when we examine a hymn, uh, we look at it and say, does it um, speak about who God is, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Is this... Uh, piece of music, something that uh, speaks about God plainly, and or is it a piece of music that any religion could sing and not worry about offending themselves, so mm -hmm. to speak? So, you know, we, we like to see hymnody with the verbiage that speaks about Jesus, that speaks about the Holy Spirit and the Father. Um, you know, is is it a piece of music? I mean, some of these pieces of music we have have come down to us from really first, second, third century. Mm -hmm. uh, they've stood the test of time uh, within the church. Um, you know, we look for music that uh, um, focuses on scripture as opposed to, for instance, just natural revelation. So, um, you know, there's some there's some religious hymns that some people have soft spots in their hearts for, mm -hmm. um, but they don't necessarily focus on scripture. It more focuses on a natural revelation. So, like in the garden or something like that, that yeah. just speaks about you know, uh, he walks with me and talks with me, but it's so. Am, ambiguous that what we want to hear is um, you know Jesus there that's something I wanted to talk about with you Stephen as well we were hinting at it a little bit when we were talking about the differences between secular music and sacred music and this will this question will will explore that a little bit further um, and you mentioned Martin Luther a lot of Luther's hymns were bar tunes were they not? Actually, you know, actually at the they, time? that's a misnomer. They it's were, a little it? apocryphal. Yeah. Okay. Because right. they they had it was it was music that had that had a bar line in it, but mm -hmm. it wasn't sung in a bar. Okay. Um, and he wasn't just he wasn't just co-opting. So there were a number of different sources that Luther used. Um, one was pop popular music at the time that was secular that was brought into the 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 the, uh, the sacred like the 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 hymn tune, um, O Veltic Mustiklassen, O World I Must Leave Thee, uh, the secular tune name for that same tune is Innsbruck, and it was a love song, but but they brought it in, changed the text, mm -hmm. theologically sound to fit that tune because people knew that tune. There were also um, instances where parts of popular chants were made into rhythm 
um, for example, um, the the Pentecost hymn, um, and my, I've drawn a blank. Um, uh, the whole oh, oh, uh, about the Holy Spirit. Um, um, I can sing it, but I can't think of the words. But anyway, that was originally a chant, and in the new hymnal, the LSB, we have three different versions of that same hymn. We have a chant. We have the early rendition from chant into hymn, then we have a modern hymn, but it's all the same melody. It's just mm-hmm. the rhythm that's changed. And I think that's that's kind of the, the question where I was going. It was not necessarily to you know, define sure, where sure. Luther was, but the fact that the church will use things that are, are popular in the secular world, provided that the the truths, the written, the written word in the hymn uh, is works. So there, there's got to be a little bit of a challenge, though. I mean, you can kind of you can kind of see it um, in a lot of the popular Christian music that we have today, where you could perhaps change out the name of Jesus with Samantha, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it it sounds more like a love song than it does a a song. Well, this is the thing that to, some of those yeah. popular tunes. They carry with them certain impressions that you've associated with the tune, so you know they. It's you can't necessarily just wholesale tunes or words into a, a hymn that has the proper meter or a piece of music that has the proper meter. For instance, um, I think many people are familiar with "Amazing Grace." Right? Mm-hmm. So you, you hear the tune "Amazing Grace." And you, it sets a mood. It helps to bring everything together, so to speak. The music and the words. Um, I saw a uh, another setting, and they had put that verbiage with the happy wanderer. So you know, now same words. But, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like, well, see, it doesn't really match. <laughs> you know, so so uh, the music is appropriate. I mean, it's not that we don't hear. We have plenty of joyous, happy hymns that we sing during joyous, happy seasons. And other hymnody that is appropriate for uh, more somber seasons in Lent. We're going to have a certain genre of hymnody that we're going to concentrate on. At Easter, we have a different one. During communion, we have some. During Christmas, obviously, etc. So uh, it, it's words and music. For a pastor, honestly, I pick hymns for the words. Mm-hmm. I want the words to be, uh, you know, tell us who God is and who I am in relation to God and what he's done to (laughs) correct who I am (laughs) because I'm not good. Uh, So, you know, all those things go together. But, I mean, I'm a music guy. I love music. I love singing. Absolutely. Uh, Now, now we in the the Lutheran Church, we're we're very much a musical people, for sure. Uh, And... There are a lot of talented musicians, you know, lay people who who come uh, and and worship. 
But let's let's be honest. Some of these hymns are a challenge from time to time to to sing uh, for individuals. So, how do you try to get the most out of the congregation? How do you how do you get the best best out of them with with your musicality? Do a learning hymn with the congregation. Have the choir sing it one Sunday, like we're going to do this Sunday. The choir singing the learning hymn as an anthem, and then the following Sunday, the congregation will start singing it do an organ prelude based on that tune, so they can get the tune in their head. Um, choose, you know, music is very subjective, and pastor chooses hymns by the text. Um, I have a few more different, when I choose hymns, I go through a few more different tests myself. One is singability. I don't believe that every hymn in the hymnal is singable very well. <laughs> I really don't. Um, I have to apologize for that sometimes. And bless because <laughs> I pick ones on occasion where they're like, but ble- that was know, tough. <laughs> bless the editors' hearts; they did what they thought was right. Yeah. The texts are solid. The texts are very solid yeah. in that, you know. But but as a musician, I look at more than just the text. I look at the, what the tune is because music is the language; it's the musical language of the congregation. Every congregation is different. Mm-hmm. Now you know. Back in the day, when all you know all the congregations came from Germany and they started churches. They had the same hymnody learned from But it. when yeah. you have somebody who's from the Methodist background, someone Presbyterian, someone Baptist, and they, you know, marry or either they become a member of a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, that's not part of their language unless it's taught. So they may have different desires too, which also brings us to the whole thing about the text. Um, when people come from more of a Calvinist background, they're going to have a different sense of doctrine. And the hymnody is very different in the Presbyterian Church than it is. Well, not so much now, but it was at one mm-hmm. time. Um, so there's all that. It's, it's kind of like the melting pot. One of the things that a lot of churches struggle with is making sure that they uh, seem attractive to the population, that people want to come and, and worship there. And a lot of it... It has to do with music, and and I've heard these discussions uh, throughout the years of me belonging to to various churches. They're like, you know what? I'm not doing the organ thing anymore. That's just not contemporary enough for me. I, I need I need different different type of music. What what's your thoughts on making sure that the music remains relevant to? Uh, you know, I don't want to say the audience, but. But that's what you have to say when you talk like that, because uh, bluntly, in fact, I was just reading an article about it today, That, and and not surprisingly, the great loss that's happening within the church, where when you start to move in those kind of directions, uh, where I want to hear what pleases my ear as opposed to what you know, that the church has had for decades or centuries, um, then you move to a place where you're seeking entertainment as opposed to solid doctrine. And uh, and the fact is that uh, more and more and more studies, surveys, history indicates to us that it's that's bad for the church. It ends up with people then moving from 
you know, I loved it here. It was wonderful, but now I'm not pleased anymore. So I'm going to go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, they ended up seeking something for pleasure as opposed to, not to say that, you know, you have to stay here even if it's not pleasurable. But uh, if you're if you're listening to the music and when you start to or remain connected to it, I think you find out that some of these things are are very very solid and um, and you know we we can sing in a way that is brings us together, but it, that is worshipful as opposed to seeking entertainment. I think it's the responsibility of the of the professional music staff of a church to present the hymnody to the congregation in a way that it is singable. Really thinking about the text. You know, the marriage of the music and the text is so important to relate to the congregation. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people, there was a lady at a church I served in Colorado, and, and I asked, she was out of town, she was visiting her home church in Missouri to see her mother. And I said, how was worship? She goes, it was deadly. And I said, why was it deadly? And she told me. And it had to do with the way that the music was done in the worship service. You know. So I, I look at mm-hmm. even even the simplicity of a communion hymn when most people are either communing, they're getting back from communion, the singing is usually not real robust during communion, except here it seems to be. Um, but that hymn is is very important and it needs to be treated that way. So I think a lot of it is how it's done. You know, people, I've read, I've read articles, people, they go to church because they want something that's not worldly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a worship service, liturgy, Gottesdienst, is a foretaste of the feast to come. Mm-hmm. When we sing the Sanctus, it's with all those people in heaven standing mm-hmm. around Jesus, singing. How glorious is that? Absolutely phenomenal. And, and, and worship... You know, even with the mannerisms of the pastor and the the liturgical leaders in the worship service at the chancel, that relates something to the congregation as well. Because it's not we're not watching the Johnny Carson show. Right. <laughs> we're we're it's a worship service. So as far as I'm concerned, it needs to be treated as a worship service. And I wanted to follow up on what you were mentioning there, Pastor, as well, about how the fact uh, that a lot of churches with their professional staff, their professional musicians, and the volume of what they're, they're playing, uh, you can look around the churches and see how many people are participating, how many congregate mm-hmm. members are participating. It's not a lot. It's as no, if they, they are watching, watching a show exactly. as opposed to actively participating. But with the few minutes that we have left, one of the things that I want to introduce folks to is the fact that we have an awesome piece of musical gear here at Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, and that is the pipe organ. Talk about otherworldly. I have been up in the, the choir loft and have been standing you know next next to the pipes when you're playing one of those lower bass notes and it just <laughs> the foundations of the church <laughs> shake talk about uh, your relationship with the organ and what what kind of a tool that is well I have a relationship with the organ in the sense that I have a passion to play that's just the bottom line I love to play the organ 
Um, I love the sound of the instrument, and and it's wonderful because that can be brought into with the congregation to excite them, to to let them listen to a prelude, perhaps help their prayer life prior to worship with pre-service music, um, and then the jubilance of the postlude when they're going out into the world mm-hmm. to share Jesus with people, and I think. You know, the, the, the history of the pipe organ was secular at first. It was used in the Colosseum um, during those horrible, horrible things with lions and people and the gladiators and stuff like that. Um, and it was brought into the church later. Um, it was used basically as a pitch instrument for intonation, for pitches. And as a matter of fact, during Martin Luther's time, the organ was not used on hymns at all. They were sung a cappella. Mm-hmm. So it, it developed into something in full liturgy after that. Um, but it's it's the king of instruments for a reason. It's like an orchestra. You've got all this exactly. sound, um, and it just it just can energize people. Um, so Stephen, uh, before we wrap up, where would you recommend people learn more about music in the church? Are, are there any places that you think might be a you know good place for them to get started? Well, you know, the, the, the Internet's full of wonderful resources. Some are not factual. Some are very factual. And libraries usually have an online um, resource uh, for, you know, music, too. You can go to any of the, any, any of the major universities' websites, um, like the Yale Institute of Sacred Music. They've got wonderful resources that you can read about church music. Um, just any of the, the, the main university books on the history of music will glean lots of information as well. There's a lot of, lot of good information out there. But go to the library or do it online. Go to the library online. On a, on a personal basis, I would invite them just to come to church. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm serious. I mean, you know, come to church. Uh, our hymnody here is... Uh, um, I'm just putting it this way. It's solid. Mm-hmm. It's very solid. And, uh, you know, you come, sing with other people. We're very fortunate to be blessed with a director of music who's very talented, uh, which doesn't mean that we're listening to him perform, but that he understands how to guide the congregation with the organ or with with other instrumentation. Uh, and so that we we're able to sing and pray these words together uh, in a worship service. Pastor, would you mind uh, leading us in prayer to close yeah, out? we'll do that. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that uh, that you are with us, that you're, you've been in this congregation for years, and uh, you know, you're here with us uh, every Sunday, uh, and you give us opportunity to worship you. We ask that you would instill in the people of this church a zeal to come together, and for the people listening to the podcast, that uh, they would come to seek you out, to to hear your word, to uh, sing hymns to you, to receive your gifts of forgiveness in the hearing of your word. We pray that you would uh, bless the people that are listening to this podcast, that they would be uh, either instilled in the faith or increased in their faith so that they can go out and be about the things that you have planned for them to do. 
We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Stephen Pruitt, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the podcast this week. And I know we're going to start diving deeper um, into music in future podcasts. So we look forward to having you back again. Good to be here. Thank you. If you are interested in joining us at Trinity, we are located at 6001 Granby Street in Norfolk. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. with a Bible study preceding that at 9 a.m. as well. We would love to have you here. If you want to comment on this podcast, certainly any place that it's posted, Facebook, our website, feel free to leave a comment. We check that regularly, and we would love to you know, bring your thoughts into the in, into the conversation as well. But you can also send us an email to tlc at trinitylutheranorfolk.org, not only with your comments on the program, but if you have any suggestions for future programs. Also, the website is trinitylutheranorfolk.org. So please check us out there. Uh, There's a wealth of information regarding what's going on at Trinity, as well as some background information regarding who we are and what we're all about. Until next time, God's blessings. I'm your host, James Seth, for Pastor Jonathan Rice. Take care.